So are you one of those who's afraid to live long because you're afraid you will not live well? Well, here you go. A conversation with Professor Walter Longo, who's had over 30 years experience in the field of longevity and healthy eating. More than anything else, he actually will give you the tips on how to live well. I'm Dr. Chalam, your host for this podcast, Women Wide for Wellness. In this conversation with Professor Walter Longo, what is very fascinating is this is not about a high fat and a high protein diet. Most of you probably get that information when you surf what we call Google University. However, this is real true scientific research which shows that carbohydrates are very essential for our well-being. But how you eat it, when you eat it becomes very important. And if this interests you, this is the conversation you want to listen to. So once again, without any further delay, here's my conversation with Professor Walter Longo. And before I leave you to listen to this conversation, just a quick reminder, download this, share this link with someone else, and like our YouTube channel so we can continue to provide this information for you. Once again, without any delay, go ahead and listen to my conversation with Professor Walter Longo. everyone, I'm Dr. Chalam, your host for this online show, Resolving Diabetes Naturally. Today, I'm extremely honored and excited to have Professor Walter Longo, who has 30 years of experience in the field of longevity and healthy eating. He's the director of Longevity Institute at the University of Southern California, Leonard Davis School of Gerontology, Los Angeles, and the director of Longevity and Cancer Program, at the IFOM, the Italian Foundation for Cancer Research, Institute of Molecular Oncology in Milan, Italy. He's the author of the best-selling um, book, The Longevity Diet. It's a bestseller and two Italian books. And I, I'm hoping I will not destroy the way I pronounce it. Is it Alla Tavola della Longevita? Um, at the Table of Longevity and uh, La Longevita Inizia da bambini, longevity begins in childhood. Professor Longo is also the scientific director of the Create Cures Foundation and the Walter Longo Foundation. In 2018, Time Magazine named Professor Longo as one of the 50 most influential people in healthcare for his research on fasting mimicking diets as a way to improve health and prevent disease. So this is really an honor Professor Longo, thank you so much for um, joining us on this journey. Well, thank you for having me. Yes. So uh, one of the things that I really like to talk to my experts about is their journey do, uh, you know, that gets them to do what they do. Um, obviously, I've read, read your longevity uh, book, and you give a little insight into how you wanted to be a rock star, but then something there was an itch. And you wanted to find answers to that. And that's how you got into this longevity uh, research. So tell us a little about your childhood. What got you to this point where this was important? Yeah. So I probably, uh, I think that it was probably, um, you know, look, everybody looks at what's most important. And, uh, and to me, I thought it was very important to play music and to be a guitar player and, you know, yeah. to join a rock band. And, uh, but then I think the more I look at it, maybe I, I say in the beginning of the book, certainly uh, being there when my grandfather died when I was five or six years old, um, probably in the head of a, of a child, um, this idea that he would die fairly early. Um, and, and also probably the observation that other people didn't die. Right? Like the, the, the town where my grandfather was from, lots of people made it to 100. In fact, it's one of the, uh, towns that's got longevity, record longevity. Mm. So, I mean, I think probably seeing that difference. So why is somebody dying at 70 and other people making it 110? And they're yeah. like, Salvatore Caruso in, in Molocchio in southern Italy was a friend of my grandfather. And my father, grandfather died around 70 and Caruso died 40 years later. Right? So it's really remarkable, right? It's the same lifestyle, uh, you know, generally same lifestyle. 
Um, and uh, so why uh, are they living? Uh, so why is such a difference? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was in my head and I just thought, I, I don't know that I can beat uh, studying longevity and aging with anything, including music, including being a rock star. So yeah, I, I, I was just waiting for an opportunity to, to do what I, I, I just thought was exceptional, uh, the science and the medicine and, and just the ability of, of just studying, having the opportunity to, to study how to make people live uh, very long and very healthy. Yeah, and I think that's the second part that I'm really interested in because I don't think there's a dearth of, compared to the 1950s, people are living long, but they're living faceless, nameless lives in nursing homes and assisted livings. I think the part that is really in, uh, very interesting is you're talking about living long, but with less disease, yeah. which is actually very different than what most people, when you tell them, um, you know, when I ask my patients, like, uh, when we're talking about longevity, they'll say, I don't want to live long because I don't want to be dependent on anybody and I don't want to live this life. I have so much pain or I have, you know, I, I'm going blind. You know, there are so many things that happen by the time people hit their 60s and 70s. So tell a little about the health and longevity. How do, why is that we don't have both in America today? What is missing? Well, well, you mentioned the, the nursing homes, but in fact, the problems, uh, I mean, I used to think it started in young adults, you know, including myself, right? In the 30s, I was looking at before I joined the, in, in the 20s, before I, I, while I joined the Roy Walford Lab, who was at the time one of the world experts in nutrition, I was, my blood pressure started rising, my cholesterol was high. Yeah, I was in my late 20s. Uh, so I thought that, that it started there. And now with the third book I wrote, I realized it starts much earlier, right? It starts in, in children. And it, potentially it starts in the mother of the child, you know? Yeah. The way the mother eats, uh, probably epigenetically, but also environmentally. So now the mother is going to train, I mean, it's going to pass down certain genetic uh, modulator to the child, but also the lifestyle. So lifestyle and epigenetic or genetic, which is genetic, epigenetic, and lifestyle. So, uh, yeah, so we saw, for example, that Italian children, and it's probably the same in the United States, eat uh, three to four times more proteins than recommended by all the pediatric uh, societies around the world. That's incredible, right? And what was even more incredible is nobody knew this. The pediatrician didn't know this. This was shocking to us. Is that how, could the, how could the children be eating three to four times more proteins than recommended by their own pediatric societies and nobody knows right yeah. so i think that that's a problem you know the, the problem is this disconnect between uh, science and, and you know and we're seeing it now with covid19 but i think it's everywhere you know uh, science and a scientific team that is able to handle the problem and the patient right <clears throat> so what we have instead is a lot of noise, you know, whether it's books by people that don't know what to do, journalists that don't know what they're talking about, you know, it's just a lot of confusion and chaos. And people get, you know, from the internet, from Google, from the doctor on TV, you know, and, um, you know, and this is what happened with COVID-19, if you want to just take the, the, the latest example. So just a lot of opinion, you know, and some of it comes from people, you know, you could say what well, doctor knows generally uh, about viral infections. No, they do not, right? You know, I don't. I mean, I don't know about our infection. I mean, and yeah. I, I spent decades working on immunology and infectious diseases. We have grants on on, on viruses, on viral infection, but um, you know, I don't. Uh, I don't go out and give recommendations, right? So, so yeah, that's a problem. With nutrition, we've seen 30, 40 years of improvisation. Lots of people. Anybody has got an opinion. Yeah. So you could be an actor, right? You could be an actor. Yeah. And we, many cases, right? And you say, okay, I figured it out. So you go on TV and you talk to 10 million people and you, and you can come up with whatever it is that you want with no consequences and nobody's stopping you. And uh, yeah, that's a problem, right? Now, what is the solution? Like for COVID-19, I think the solution is to have, you know, panels of people that, um, you know, the, the idea is not to sit around forever and, and be in the university talking about what we're going to do. Now, the idea is like today, right? 
whether it's COVID-19 or obesity or, you know, which by the way is contributing to the mortality uh, to COVID-19 or yeah. diabetes, is like, wh what do we do with somebody that is pre-diabetic, right? You know, and, and not what we do in the lab, right? What, what do we do so that it works for that person and it makes the person live to 110 healthy? Right? That's just completely absent, right? So, and with, with accountability, right? For us, right? I'm, I'm very, I'm perfectly fine. Now we have, you know, a clinic. My foundation opened a clinic in Santa Monica. We opened one in Milan. Yeah. And um, so we like accountability. We say, look, we know what we're doing and they make us accountable, you know? So come to us and we'll follow you. We, let, we have a biologist, we have a nutritionist, dietitian, physician, you know, they're all working together. They're forced to work together. And so that's now we see they can do wonders. Um, why? Because you know, now you have the science, but you don't, don't just have an opinion. You have scientists that say, okay, here are all the papers that say on diabetes, on nutrition and diabetes. Um, and then you have the dietitian can implement it and you have the physician now that can educate the scientists, but be educated from the, by the scientists. Right? And yeah, so that works. And, and believe it or not, it's completely absent from, from medicine. Right. So basically, this is what I even I tell my patients. It's like, you know, we're getting caught in the marketing noise and the science gets lost in it because diabetes, which is what, you know, has been my passion. I come from a family of nine diabetics and four of them died from complications of diabetes in their late 50s and early 60s. So I see this as a potential and a lot of people and like I come from India. So that's like the diversity, right? It's rising and it's continuing to be a big problem, especially since it opened up. And I see that here too. And when I work with patients, no matter what their condition be, whether it be autoimmune, whether it be hypertension, whether it be cardiovascular, they have underlying insulin resistance. They are resistant to insulin and they have a lot of the inflammatory markers, the high sensitive C-reactive protein, high insulin levels. And no one ever checks this. When you go to a regular doctor, you just get a fasting blood glucose. If it's under 100, you said you're normal. And people don't realize they have evolving insulin resistance that is going to surface as diabetes. So for somebody who doesn't understand, um, you know, like patients who are listening to this, what is the advice that you would give them? Because right now, if I'm sure you're um, listening to it as much as I am listening to it and as much as the medical world is confused about it, is we've gone through the paleo AIP diet, we're into the ketogenic diet for reversal of diabetes, right? So we're very confused about nutrition. What has been your research as far as insulin resistance, what really works for people and what can a diabetic, who's somebody who's struggling with blood sugars, do right now that will shift their life? Yeah. yeah, well, first of all, it's very important uh, to a diabetic per person to say, uh, look, um, for most of you, right, not all of you, but most of you, you can reverse it. Okay? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and because if you already start from, from thinking, you know, I can never be cured of this, uh, then the motivation goes down, you know, 90%. Yeah. So, yeah. So for most people, it can be reversed. So of course, if you're on insulin, the pancreas is now past the stage or a point of, of no return. Yes, that's much, much harder. Uh, but, you know, uh, we forget that insulin resistance is, part, is, a, is a good thing uh, in the history of humankind, right? So why are, were we insulin resistant? Well, most likely, almost for sure, we became insulin resistant during the summer. Why? Because there was plenty of food, there was plenty of fruit, lots of sugar, lots of fructose, and we wanted to accumulate, become fat, essentially, because the winter was coming, and if you're not obese uh, in the summer, you never make it. Right? Yeah. So obese doesn't mean that you were you know, 300 pounds. It means that maybe you had an extra 20 pounds, 30 pounds. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, look at the penguins, look at the grizzly bears, right? So, so we, we almost sure about this because we still see it. You know, the, the penguins, they'll get, you know, overweight. The, the emperor penguins in the South Pole, and then they use that to survive months and months. They can go four months with no food. The grizzly bears, same thing. They get, uh, you know, overweight in the summer, and then they can make it through the winter. Uh, yeah, so 
So if you understand that, then you understand that, okay, insulin resistance is really your friend uh, only if this is a month, a year, or whatever, right? So, so, and then I'm not suggesting that people go and, and do a month. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying, I'm just saying uh, it was part of, let's say, in history, it was our friend. Yeah. Now, of course, the fasting period never comes. And so, of course, if you just have the building positive period, insulin resistance, build fat, and then you never consume it, you're in trouble. This is what, it's very simple, and this is what's happening all over the world. You know? uh, so what's the solution? Well, the solution has to include some form of fasting and probably fasting-making diet. We abandoned water-only fasting, and the reason for that uh, was because, you know, like all solutions that seem simplistic from the past, they cause as much damage as they cause uh, uh, benefits, right? Benefit, so yeah. you say, uh, let's stick with the fasting-making diet. Well, we, we want to avoid hypertension, we, hypoglycemia. We want to avoid, uh, you know, people abandoning it because it's too tough, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so the fasting-making diet, let's say, you know, three times a year to the average person. Now, for diabetes, in, uh, in Holland, we're fasting once a month. Uh, five days of the, fast, of the prolonged fasting-making diet once a month. And then, uh, you know, now we're just uh, recruiting most of the patients in collaboration with uh, Hanno Pale. Um, and uh, we'll see. But, uh, you know, we're, we're, very, uh, uh, we're very optimistic. Why? Because we used this uh, in the past in two trials. And I can only talk about the one that's published, but it works very well. Everybody that was, almost everyone or, or, or everyone that was pre-diabetic moved back. Just after three cycles of these five days, fasting, making diet, we know the changes in, in the diet. Um, now, um, is, that, is that good? I mean, is that what we're telling people? No. We're telling people you should do both the longevity diet every day and the fasting-making diet, you know, once every three months and for a diabetic maybe once a month until they become not diabetic. Uh, but we're also saying if you can and only if you can, try to change your diet as much as possible towards this pescatarian, you know, fish twice a week, vegan diet. Uh, that seems to be very be beneficial in addition to the fasting making diet. Now, the, the, the diabetic can say, and I have a chapter for diabetes in the, in the book, you can say, well, look, you know, I can only do one or the other. Fine, you know, do what you can. Um, but uh, one is free, the, the everyday longevity diet. The other one, it uh, costs, I don't know, a couple hundred dollars. By the way, I don't make a, a penny out of any of this, either the book or, or, or the, the diet. So, um, but I can see that there are, in, in doing this for decades, I know that there are people in both segments. There are people who say, I will never do five days of a fasting making diet. And there's people that say, I will never change my everyday diet to do your, you know, uh, longevity, longevity diet, pescatarian longevity diet. So I think that uh, then they, they just try to get as close as possible to, to, to both doing both of these. And then, you know, figure out uh, what it is that you can do. For example, can, you know, can you do it four or five times a year if you're a diabetic and then uh, do the, you know, do health for the longevity diet? And that we, uh, we think it can have tremendous benefits. Well, now we think we have clinical data suggesting that we'll have tremendous benefits. Um, and, um, you know, because in the latest trial, which I cannot discuss, we had the Mediterranean diet which is like halfway to the longevity diet yeah. compared to the fasting-making diet, right? So that's a, that's a trial we're about to publish, the, 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 the new trial. And, uh, and then the diabetes one, the two diabetes trials that are going to come up uh, next year. They're going to be published next year. So, yeah, that's the way to go. Uh, why is it the way to go? Well, um, if you're thinking about low-carb diet and you're thinking about, you know, a very low-calorie diet, we think it's, it's a bad idea. Why? Well... Uh, the, the very low-calorie diet, number one, most people will eventually stop it and regain yeah. all the weight back. And number two, now there's multiple studies on chronic calorie restriction showing the metabolism slow even if you adjust it per body weight. So your body, let's say, weight decreases by 10%, your metabolism might decrease by 15%. So now you're putting yourself in trouble by having this you know, chronic you know, first of all, you're not going to be able to do it for very long. And then you, your metabolism slows so much that you say, you know, that I, can't, I can't do this because I, I got to keep reducing the calorie. And then your lean body mass decreases. So your muscle mass will decrease. 
Um, so you, you're getting yourself in trouble. With the fasting vegan diet, we saw very little loss of lean body mass. Uh, in fact, there was an increase in, in relative lean body mass, you know, relative to the body weight. Uh, so it looks very promising because it's just, hey, if nothing else, can you do these five days once a month? And that's it. Don't change anything else. If you want to change anything else, change, uh, you know, uh, whatever you want and try to move towards the longevity diet. But it could be, and, and by the way, we see this in diabetic patient, pre-diabetic patient, we see this very often, which is, um, you know, I start and then I'm on this five-day completely vegan diet, you know, the, the prolonged FMD. Uh, and then people start uh, realizing it's not so bad to be vegan, you know, yeah. uh, or, you know, or, or to or be close to vegan. So, yeah, yeah, they're not going to become vegan, but they might say, now I'm eating more soups. I'm eating more vegetables, right? Yeah. I'm used to it. Now I'm trained, you know, it's like, it's like being trained to do a, a 10K run. Uh, now you've done it three, four times. Now you, you, you can do it on your own. Nobody does, needs to follow you uh, to go running. Got it. So let me ask you this, because the viewers probably, a lot of them diabetics are scared about fasting. What is fasting? If you actually were to define fasting for somebody, what is fasting? Is it because, you know, we tell patients, come fasting for your blood draw. That's not fasting, right? From dinner to breakfast. What is truly fasting that will no, shift well, their health? Yeah, what we tested in the clinical trial is this uh, uh, prolonged fasting mimicking diet. So it's a product that is commercially available. And, uh, and, uh, um, you know, and people, you know, always criticize because they say, oh, did you have to come up with a product? Of course we had to come up with a product because medicine is based on products that are extremely expensive. This is very inexpensive. Inexpensive, uh, yeah. But, but the drugs are, you know, so the entire medical world is based on extremely expensive and very um, standardized intervention, right? They, they go through hell before they are approved by the FDA. And so... So the idea that we were going to intervene in diabetes or, or prevention of cardiovascular disease, prevention of diabetes, by just saying, oh, here's what you eat, you know, it, it was dangerous, A, as we noticed early on. So because we tried that, right? I tried that in Italy, and it turned out to be a disaster, right? So we started giving recommendations. And, of course, what happened is lots of improvisation, and improvisation led people, uh, you know, ending up in the emergency room, ending up in the hospital. A bad idea, right? And then when we move back and say, that's it, we also had to move back because doctors were so upset that we were doing this, you know, that, that I gave the impression that, and I, what I said in the book was like, look, maybe you could go to a registered dietitian or a doctor and they can follow you and help you be, if you cannot afford the diet, you know, can help you. There was disaster, right? Because, uh, now we just gave a license to the masses to do their own medicine, be mm. pharmacists and doctors, uh, and make their own soups and things like that. So, yeah. So the, what's a fasting making diet? What's a five-day high-fat, low-sugar, uh, pretty high complex carbohydrate, all coming from vegetables and, uh, um, and low protein? And that's about you know, 1,100 calories on day one, and it's about 800 calories on day two, three, four, five. Uh, yeah, so it's vegan uh, with these uh, features. And the idea is that we match the effects of water-only fasting on the blood markers, IGF-1, IGF-PP-1, glucose, and ketone bodies. So that's why it's a fasting-making diet, because it achieves the same or very similar changes to those caused by water-only fasting, but it, it has the job of preventing you know, hypotension, hypoglycemia, uh, preventing gallstone formation. You know, so it, it's just, um, uh, we, it's, it is studied, you know, I mean, we haven't demonstrated that it prevents ghost formation, but it is studied. The high fat content, for example, uh, is expected to, you know, uh, be the, 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 the component that uh, helps prevent the, the, the ghost formation uh, in the gallbladder. Mm-hmm. Got it. So um, somebody who wants to follow the longevity diet, because, you know, before they buy a product and they say, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this for five days of a month and for the next three months I will do it. If they were to understand how, like for them, for people to get into this diet, because it's a sudden decrease in calories, most people consume, if you actually practically speaking, 2,000 to 3,000 calories a day, they don't realize that, but that's what they're consuming. Yeah. What would be the best way for them to 
get into a fasting mode? Like, is there a specific meal that they should uh, end with their day, like their dinner? Is there a specific combination that you would say this is good? So, um, you know, the next day, if you want to start fasting, that would be helpful. Is there something well, that, like for me as a physician, if I want to conduct a workshop, what kind of diet should I be advising to people? Yeah, so I think, you know, the, the, what I described in the book, you know, the everyday diet, uh, the longevity diet. Uh, so, you know, uh, I, I would try to get as, as close as possible, again, to a, a vegan, pescatarian, so fish only two meals a week. Okay. Uh, try to be salmon and, and uh, you know, anchovies, sardines, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that, so you can also get the omega-3s uh, and, and some of the, uh, the vitamins. Um, and then uh, um, the uh, eat within 12 hours, right? So that's another very good training. Uh, I disagree with some of my colleagues that go to 16 hours, although, although I think that uh, can be beneficial for a short period, you know. Uh, let's say that you're diabetic, you want to do, let's say, a month of 16 hours, 16, 8, 16 hours of fasting, hours of feeding. I think it's okay. I wouldn't go past that. And there's some risk of gallstone formation. But mm -hmm. I think the best is 12 hours. It's 12 hours, you have very little. And don't skip breakfast. Keep the breakfast. Do 12 hours. So you do breakfast 7 a.m., be done by 7 p.m. You want to eat at 8 p.m. or 9 p.m., start at 9 a.m., you know, and then keep it like that. Uh, I also recommend in the book, and we're about to start a clinical trial uh, looking at that, is meal frequency. So um, we realize in the decades of research that we got to keep it simple for people. Uh, yeah. So the, the, one of the things we're saying is just go breakfast plus one meal and one snack. And, and, and we don't touch your breakfast. We don't touch your meal. We just touch your snack. And that snack has got to be about uh, between 250 and 300 calories. And it's got to be low sugar and low starch uh, snack. And that's it, you know. We don't tell you what to eat. We just tell you that you can only have breakfast eat within 12 hours, have breakfast, have one major meal, and then the third meal, replace it with a 250, 300 calorie vegan uh, snack, uh, low sugar, low starch. That's it. So yeah, so we're, we're, we're testing that. And, um, but I think that, you know, I do it, I've been doing it for 20 years. Um, and I had lots of people do it and it works very well. So, so basically, as you start gaining weight, uh, I immediately switch to uh, skip lunch. Like today, I won't have lunch. And I just have a, a coffee, uh, you know, a, 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 a sort of like a tall coffee. And that's mm -hmm. my lunch, you know. Uh, and then, um, you know, and then I'll have normal dinner. I had normal breakfast, normal dinner. Uh, and then I'm, I'm also going to have an additional snack in my case because I, I don't have a weight problem uh, <laughs> in the afternoon. But, uh, but uh, yeah, so that's... that's uh, uh, certainly a, a very good way to controlling the meal frequency. Uh, now, I, might only, I usually do this only for, let's say, a month. Uh, and then, you know, my weight uh, goes back to normal, it's stabilized. And now I go back to three meals a day plus a snack. Got it. So do you see a difference between men and women? We're not seeing that. You know, in the clinical trials, we're not seeing it. Uh, we're not seeing it. We've, so we've done it both for normal people, for cancer people. Hormone therapy, say prostate cancer hormone therapy and breast cancer hormone therapy, which usually causes an increase in weight yeah. uh, and lots of metabolic issues. And uh, they respond, both of them responded very well, the, the male and the female in all trials. You know, so now we have, I don't know, maybe 10 trials that are completed, that have been completed. And uh, we, we did not see. Now we saw uh, some of the people that really have a hard time um, completing the we see the young uh, some of the young uh, overweight women okay that's mm -hmm. where we see uh sometimes they just cannot make it to the end of it you know but we're talking about out of 100 people too like that you know um, right yeah. but a good you know, of course there were not 100 young women uh, overweight yeah. it was out of 100 people there were maybe say 10 in that category and two out of 10 uh could not uh, finish the complete uh, fasting making diet yeah, because for us in the clinic, that's not how we get, right? Majority of our patients would be overweight young women who are trying to lose weight. And that's been the biggest challenge I've seen is getting them to shift um, their evening meal. Uh, breakfast, they will do good. Lunch, they will do good. The evening meal, somehow, I don't know whether it's the leptin resistance or insulin resistance, they just get to eat all the way to bedtime. 
and that's where the tipping happens and the fasting really gets broken down and even with the fasting, I, I, I don't understand what do you mean the uh... so if you're telling them 12 12 hours let's say i start with 12 hours i tell them to do a, a good breakfast and a heavy lunch but a lighter like eat dinner like a pop-up that they can't and they'll start snacking all the way towards the night because they're truly hungry yeah. they're struggling yeah. with that yeah, so I think that uh, the, the solution, at least to some, you know, you're never going to get solution to everybody. Everybody, it, yeah. It, is when they're young is to turn it around. Like, you know, in my case, I, I will never skip the dinner. I have a fairly big dinner. And, um, uh, but, um, you know, I have a dinner that is typically about 70 grams of, let's say, pasta. And mm -hmm. then I have maybe like 400 grams of legumes and vegetables. It's big, right? But it's not big in calorie. And, and, but, yes. uh, you know, Volume. now we're, this is the type of stuff we're starting to study. Mechanically, it's probably telling the stomach, I am full, yep. no room for anything, forget it until tomorrow. I mean, no way I'm eating again. Mm -hmm. See, that's the, 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 so the light meal in some way, especially now, if you're 80 years old, I will agree with that. In fact, a lot of 80 year olds do that, and that's great. Uh, but if you're 25, mm -hmm. um, I would turn around and say, go ahead and have the, the big meal at 7 p.m., 8 p.m., and make it big like this, uh, and make a relatively low starch, but large volume, lots of, lots of and, and by the way, I put a lot of olive oil on it, too, in addition to this, and uh, because that's going to be self-regulatory, and, and I think to, to young, a young person, it's very important, because if by 10 o'clock they're hungry, uh, you got a problem, you know, and, yeah. uh, and, uh, and it's going to be extremely difficult for them, no matter what the rule is, to, to obey. Especially because in the United States, they eat early. You know, they might have the, the dinner at 6.30. Yeah. Then from 6.30, making it to 11.30, midnight. So I would say, hey, eat a little bit later, maybe eat around 8, uh, and, and turn your meal the way I describe it in the book, larger, and then just get rid of lunch. Uh, or have a healthy snack for lunch that might provide whatever it is that you're not getting for the rest of the day. Then once you get to 75 and having a big dinner, it causes you, you know, reflux and problems. And yeah, then, then of course, then you don't have a choice. Then, then you have to, uh, or you're not sleeping or whatever. But uh, usually, uh, you know, this is what centenarians have done all their lives. They eat late and they eat like this, whether they're in Okinawa. In Okinawa is a little bit less, but certainly the, the Italians, the Greeks, the, the, the Loma Linda people, they don't, they eat a lot, you know, and uh, they don't have sleeping problems. So in general, so I think it's, uh, it's not something that will negatively affect uh, sleep in, in most people. A lot of it is also just change in habits. And I like what you said about the volume, because that, that mechanically, that actually keeps you well. And the other part of it is the, um, when you say low carb, when you look at it, beans and, um, Pasta come under carbs, so do vegetables. But that's not the carb you're talking about, right? You're talking no, no, about yeah. fine carbs. Yeah, I was saying that the mistake that, let's say, the Italians, but, you know, Italian cuisine now is probably number one in the world, right? So this is made all over. And you, it doesn't have to be a bread, a pasta. It could be bread. It could be rice, you know. So mm -hmm. the, the mistake that a lot of the restaurants make and, you know, and, and is to have these empty dishes of starches, right? So, so in Italy, for example, we saw the children were eating an average, a pound, I think, a day of starches, right? Mm -hmm. So a huge amount, right? And, uh, and this is the same is happening in the United States and all over the world. So yeah, the meal then should have about 70 grams of, of, uh, of pasta, rice, uh, you know, so two ounces. Why is that important? Well, I think it's important because if you start making, if you remove the pleasure, out of the dish yeah it's just a matter of time before people are going to reject it and i saw but if you have the rice and you have the pasta and you have the bread but it's just 70 grams it's it's not bad you know i, I do it almost every day every night so it's not bad you still you know psychologically see recognize that you're eating what you've always eaten what you like and then you know you start appreciating as i was saying earlier the legumes the uh, and the vegetables which have uh, uh, have carbohydrates but very little of it, right? So so you now have half a, you know one pound of, of food with uh, adding very little carbohydrate compared to what you would do if you had this empty dish of 
pasta and yes. nothing else. You know, what you typically see in most restaurants or rice, you know, the bowl of rice, that's gotta, we just got to eliminate this idea of a bowl of rice, a dish of pasta. It, it, it should always be a minority on the plate, you know. The, the starches should, be, should never represent the majority of the plate. So the same thing about the protein too, right? It's, that was very important. What I've noticed is when patients come to me on a high protein diet, I can't get the insulin down. The insulin is quite high. The sugar is very high. And, but the message diabetics get is eat protein because yeah. it fills you and your sugar gets under control. So if you could just speak to that too so people get that message. Yeah, this is you know, the absence of the biologist, uh, the molecular biologist in medicine, right? It's, it's tragic you know, because... What happens is that protein and certain amino acids are controlling growth hormone, which is controlling insulin and IGF-1, you know? So for example, in the people that we follow that are growth hormone receptor deficient, either the mice or the people, insulin is very low, IGF-1 is very low, and TOR is very low, right? So, right. so now, and insulin resistance doesn't occur in spite of obesity, right? So the, we're, we're seeing that the connection between obesity and insulin resistance is the growth hormone IGF-1 for mm -hmm. insulin uh, uh, access. Um, yeah, so but if you reduce your protein, now the uh, TOR, IGF-1, and insulin go down, and now you're unlocking all these problems, and, uh, and uh, you uh, are now, uh, you're going to facilitate insulin sensitivity. Mm -hmm. um, now, yeah, of course, you don't want to become protein deficient because then you go from one problem to the other, and yeah, you may reverse insulin resistance and now start, you know, negatively affecting your immune system, for example. And, uh, and so you don't want that. But uh, I think, you know, if you st stick with 0 0.35 grams of proteins per pound of body weight, you know, so if you weigh 100 pounds, it would be 35 uh, grams or so of, of yeah. proteins. Uh, now watch out because the vegan diets tend to have lots of legumes, for example, have low methionine which is fine, but, you know, you don't want to exaggerate because uh, you could have, uh, you know, uh, problems. Uh, you know, we're about to publish on that very soon, but you could have problems by just, uh, you know, have, this is why they fish twice a week, you know. Mm. Uh, yep. You know, because uh, lots of people don't realize that, uh, uh, that the vegan diet uh, can be great and, and can be problematic at the same time. Absolutely. I mean, there, there is a lot of uh, holes unless you're following a very high vegetable. Um, and most vegans not necessarily do that. What I've noticed is they eat the processed soy or the grains is probably their mode because it's very filling. And like you said, you know, pleasure of eating comes from the grains, not so much uh, unless you know how to cook the vegetables. So if somebody's hearing this, um, what I'm getting from you is having a lot of vegetables, which is what even your fasting mimicking diet is mostly fat and carbs, but more of the vegetable-based carbs, um, some protein. And the way they would do even in the longevity diet is lots of fiber, just enough protein and good quality fats. And um, and making sure that you're doing two meals a day. If you can do it 12 hours apart, that'll probably be helpful with a small snack, 230 to 300 calories um, is probably useful. And in terms of, um, you know, somebody who's watching this and who's been talking about fats, carbs, and protein, do we really need to talk about those? Can we just say have this many vegetables and your source of protein can be from legumes or fish and fat can be from good quality oils or olives or avocado this, is that another way yeah that yeah nuts nuts almonds uh, uh hazelnuts uh, uh walnuts yeah so salmon uh avocados fine uh olive oil um yeah yeah no we do need to talk about proteins you know people need to pay attention because uh again uh you need almost a uh three, 400 grams of uh, wet, uh, uh, let's say chickpeas mm -hmm. to get uh, 30 grams of proteins. Uh, so, you know, if you're somebody who weighs, uh, you know, 150 pounds, uh, you probably need, uh, um, you know, let's say 60 grams of protein 
and uh, um, and uh, you know, if you want to maintain your weight or just to rebuild your muscle, to maintain a, a normal lean body mass, right? So you might need sixty mass, grams yeah. a, a, a day of proteins, and uh, especially if you're vegan, uh, because you know of the low methionine and some of them low leucine, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, mm -hmm. so then, you know, 60 grams, uh, uh, you're going to need to pay attention because most people are not going to get that, uh, especially women. Uh, you, you, I see that the majority of them uh, that are vegan or close to vegan, they're, they're probably malnourished. Uh, so by, because you, you really need to say, hey, I just got 27 grams from these chickpeas. Uh, where, where am I going to get the, the other uh, 20 yeah. grams, right? Well, you know, um, if you're vegan, not easy, right? Uh, or, you know, unless you got a supplement. And, 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 and now if you're pescatarian, much easier because now on those two days a week, uh, you might get 100 grams of proteins from the fish. Uh, and so that carry, and there's a lot of methionine, a lot of leucine. And so those, those amino acids may carry you for the rest of the week. Uh, but if you don't even do that, you're going to be in trouble probably at some point, yeah. Yeah, and uh, what about uh, when you guys studied uh, for diabetics? Did you ever include eggs in them? Uh, yeah, eggs are is fine. I think uh, I recommend a couple a week. Uh, that's uh, that's probably fine unless you have uh, you're very sensitive to the cholesterol in the eggs. And some people are, some people are, and some people can yeah. eat lots of eggs and nothing happens. Yes. But yeah, if your cholesterol is normal, and you eat a couple of eggs a week. Uh, I think it's a, it's a good, uh, very good nourishment uh, source. Um, and so you could alternate to say every other day, either one egg or, um, or fish. Got it. So somebody who's listening to us, if they are a diabetic, what would you, um, tell them to do as the first step to take in the direction of reversing, if possible, resolving their diabetes? Yeah, read the book. Unfortunately, the, the third book is even better for diabetics because it has a real manual on uh, here's how you handle it. For example, weight, right? And we, we spend a lot of time for the third book to working with pediatricians and with physicians, you know, in trying to understand, for example, we hear, we, lots of doctors hear about, oh, if you weigh yourself, that's a problem. It's a stigma. Then we looked into the data and the clinical trials, and it didn't look like that at all, right? It looked, in fact, like it was a very effective, uh, it was a very effective method to, uh, to um, control your weight, uh, but the people that uh, weighed themselves a lot did poorly because they were probably the ones that were more concerned with the weight. It mm -hmm. was not the other way around. It was not that, that, the, um, that the weighting all the time contributed to uh, overeating, it was that the overeating made you, uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, go back and check weight, use the scale all the time. Right. Yeah. So, so, uh, the, the, the method I think has to be very, um, you know, very, uh, um, you know, disciplined. And so, um, as it is for me, it's always been for me, like, like, like everybody, you know, my mom has always been overweight and, and so I grew up in the family, you know, always aware that it was just a matter of time. And most of my family members are overweight. Uh, so I, I grew up uh, thinking it's just a matter of time before it's going to hit me. And so I use always this sort of military uh, system, right? Which is very, is, is very uh, straightforward. I mean, it doesn't really take, it takes 10 seconds. But the, the 10 cycles, like, ask, weigh yourself every, for every other day. Don't make it too obsessive. And if your normal weight, weigh yourself once a month. Okay. But once you start getting in the danger zone, then do it every other day. And then uh, you tweak the starches for, uh, you know, so adopt a, a pescatarian vegan diet, you know, uh, pescatarian twice a week, fish plus that. Fish, yeah. All the other things that we said. And then um, use the uh, small changes in the starches to make up for, the, uh, for the, the failure to go one way or another, right? So, for example, if you do all of these things and you're, let's say, 25 pounds overweight and, not, and it's not working, uh, then you have to look, look in your day where the starches are, the pasta, the bread, the rice, you know, the sugars, the, the simple sugar, the Coke, whatever it is. Look at the starches or the sugars 
and then say, which one do I, can I get rid of? Right? Mm. And, 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 you know, so in children, for example, we noticed that they were, they were giving, uh, you know, a pound a day of the starches, including potatoes and, and things like that. We, we, when then we did a survey and we realized a lot of children probably didn't need to eat potatoes, you know. They were fine with it, but it wasn't like if you took away, uh, you know, it would be a, a, a big problem. So then we, we talked about, you know, can you reduce 30 or 40 grams a day? That's it, you know. So like one ounce to two ounces a day of the starches. Don't touch anything else. Yeah. And this is enough. But the plan doesn't need to be a plan like everybody's obsessed. Oh, <laughs> tomorrow I have to get there. Use the fasting mimicking diet to get you excited, right? Because you lose a lot of weight very rapidly. Yeah. Right? And then you get excited. But then go back to your normal diet and, get, and plan on this small tweaking. Like, okay, it's not working. I've been doing it for a month. So let me, okay. For example, in my case, I have a night with my pasta, the dish that I described earlier. I have bread, right? Mm-hmm. And if I, if I start gaining weight, I just remove that bread. Right. And, uh, you know, that's it. It's just a little piece of bread that I have normally. I remove it. Then, you know, eventually I go back to it. So it's little, these little things that um, allow you to say, this is a diet that I enjoy. I can do this for the rest of my life. I don't even feel like I'm on a diet. I'm eating a lot, right? I mean, I'm eating more than before. Uh, I'm still eating the pasta, the rice, the bread. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, I just happen to eat. I look at all the things, like it could be fruit juices. Another thing, you know, Italian children yep. were drinking a ton of fruit juices. And, and, you know, in most cases, they probably don't even care. You know, if, if it wasn't the mothers or the fathers that gave it to them, they would probably say, I'm okay, completely <laughs> the same, you know, having it or not, you know, yeah. so they say, don't have it then. It's okay. Just have some, a couple of fruits a day. And then, you know, lots of vegetables. You don't need a fruit juice. Got it. So very, very subtle changes and being disciplined, but enjoying. I, I mean, really the message is like, go to what eat you a lot, eat a lot, eat a lot, and then, and then obey all those rules, which are not really rules that take yeah. you that far away. What you've always done 12 hours. I mean, most people eat within 14, 15 hours. So 12 hours is not revolutionizing your day. It's just a matter of, for example, people say, well, but I get up at six. What do I do? That's okay. Don't eat, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. If you have dinner at 8, uh, eat, wait until, uh, get up at 6, do whatever you got to do, and uh, have breakfast at 8, you know. This is what I do. Right? Again, I do my exercise, whatever, showers, etc. before, and then, uh, and then start, uh, uh, start breakfast within the 12 hours, you know. Very straightforward, you know, once you do it for a little bit, uh, is... Um, it's really, uh, you don't even feel like you're doing anything that, that is uh, a burden. And that's exactly the point, right? Get to the point where you, almost none of this is a burden. It's mindless. It's mindless and it's easy to do. It's mindless, it's, but, but it won't be for the first month, right? Yes. So whatever yeah, change, change you make, you just say stick with one or two months. You're going to suffer a little bit if you, let's say, go to two meals a day plus a snack. If you, let's say, 100 pounds overweight, you do two meals a day plus a snack. Yes, you're going to suffer for one yeah. or two months. And then after two months that you skip lunch, for example, and you have coffee for lunch, uh, you're going to say, I'm perfectly fine. Why? Because your, your entire system is now wired to not have lunch. So you're not going to have spikes of insulin, et cetera, et cetera, and, and signals to you from your brain that this is the time where you normally eat. You know? But that, that signal is going to last probably about a month, and then it's going to go away. Yeah. So in the morning, if you're just breaking your fast, is coffee not, is, it, is that breaking your fast or is that okay? No, no, okay. it's not okay. It's not okay. So study after study, study including our own. Um, then we were scooped by a, a Chinese group that published that before we did. But, you know, we were looking at, uh, you know, in, in Haynes database and you can pick up, it's a, it's a paper mm-hmm. in JAX. Um, and um, that's the fourth or fifth uh, paper showing that if you skip breakfast, you tend to live shorter, have more cardiovascular disease. Uh, you may also have more uh, complication from diabetes. Uh, yeah. So yeah, there should be, I think about three or 400 calories minimum. And uh, whatever it is that, that, that your breakfast is, you know, so uh, again, I think it's, it's also important to minimize the rules to, to as much as possible, right? So 
Um, and um, yeah, so, so have breakfast and then uh, use either the lunch or dinner as your target uh, elimination meal, you know. So what is a good longevity breakfast? Well, you know, a, a good longevity breakfast um, could be, uh, um, you know, some uh, uh, fruit uh, with some whole bread or, or, or you know, some, some whole grains um, and, uh, yeah, so, and coffee and or tea. Got it. Uh, that's a good longevity breakfast. Uh, now, I have an okay longevity breakfast, you know, so I have uh, tea and then I have just bread, raisin bread, right? So not the best, but I always thought, you know, again, it's it's a, it's the idea of not, uh, of enjoying it. And, you know, so uh, once in a while I do um, a self-experiment. I have glu- uh, I take a, gl- a continuous glucose monitor and I, I, you know, I look at how this affects me. And of course there's an insulin spike, but my insulin levels are so low normally and my HbA1c is so low that I can afford it. Now, if I started gaining weight, I become more insulin resistant. Maybe I couldn't afford that breakfast anymore, and I would have to go to to like eating some nuts and eating some uh, whole grains and maybe say a yogurt uh, could be good. Uh, uh, and, and also, uh, it, it's it's um, it, people specific, right? Some people, yes. if you have too much starches in the morning, you might have a a, a low a glucose, a, a, you know, a spike of insulin. And then a, a low, a very low glucose phase. Uh, so you have to see, and that person might have to go to uh, yogurt and whole grains, uh, mm. no matter what, because uh, uh, they may get uh, you know too low levels of of uh, of, of uh, glycemia of glucose sugar mm-hmm. in the blood. You know? So so I think that, but yeah, if you go to the longevity diet, the, the problem we see is insulin sensitivity. It's, it's remarkable, right? The, the biggest problem we have when people use it is the insulin sensitivity. Even those that used to have insulin resistance, now they're insulin yeah. sensitive and, uh, and they get low blood glucose levels. Got it. Yeah. This has been very interesting, this whole conversation. I think they'll get more out of this conversation than from any nutritionist that they ever get to see because of the misinformation and confusion that's there. That's, that's really why I wanted to have you on. And I really appreciate all of the information. Is there any question that you wish that I asked you, but I didn't ask you? Um, no, I think you were pretty thorough. So. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Longo. I do appreciate you coming on with Resolving Diabetes Naturally. Appreciate it. Thank you.